Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you, and happy Easter to all. Friends, maybe it's something a little bit peculiar about me, but I've always loved to visit the graves of famous people. I don't know why, maybe it's a sense of history or a sense of connection to these heroes, a form of paying tribute to them. I don't know, but something has always drawn me to the graves of the great figures. I've done a lot of traveling around the world in my life, my various places of study. When I was at Catholic University in Washington, D.C. many years ago, I had a favorite spot. It was that ridge just below the Custis Lee Mansion at Arlington National Cemetery. It's where the Kennedy brothers are buried. I used to go there a lot, pray for them, and then I would sit on that ridge and look out over the city. It was a remarkably beautiful panoramic view. It was a great meditative place for me, and I went there a lot. Also, during those years, I would travel down the Potomac to Mount Vernon, George Washington's house, and I would see the sarcophagus of George Washington, and there I would meditate and muse and ponder. You go a little further inland, you come to Monticello, Thomas Jefferson's house, and you go to his simple grave in a very small cemetery behind the house. And there, too, I would sit, think, muse, pray. I was a student for three years in Paris. And during those years, too, I'd go to the graves of famous people. About a hundred yards behind our house was the Montparnasse Cemetery. There you could find the graves of Samuel Beckett, the great playwright. Also, Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre, the very influential 20th century philosophers, they were buried there. I used to go strolling through that cemetery. But you know, the greatest of them all, Père Lachaise Cemetery in Paris. It's huge. It's like a little city. Buried there are Abelard and Eloise. Jim Morrison, the lead singer for The Doors, who died in Paris in 1970. You can find Chopin's grave. You can find Edith Piaf's grave. Oscar Wilde is buried there. I used to spend hours wandering around that cemetery. When I went to Rome for the first time, I made a beeline for St. Peter's. Of course, St. Peter's is itself built on the site of the grave of St. Peter. You go on that Scavi tour You go deep down underneath St. Peter's and you can see the grave of St. Peter himself. What a place for Christians to muse and to pray, to meditate. You go a little further up there and you can see the graves of the recent popes. There's Pius XII and there's John XXIII. Now he's up on the main floor of St. Peter's. I just saw his grave recently. But Paul VI and John Paul I, now John Paul II, of course, is there. Last summer, I was on retreat at St. Meinrad Monastery in southern Indiana. I made a side trip down to the Abraham Lincoln Boyhood Monument or, or uh, Memorial. And there you can find the grave of Nancy Hanks, 
Abe Lincoln's mother. It's very moving. This pioneer woman who died in about 1818, and there's her simple grave, but it's covered in Lincoln pennies. It's the way people pay tribute to her. It's kind of beautiful. A couple summers ago, I went to Gethsemane Abbey down in Kentucky. One of my heroes is buried there, Thomas Merton. And I sat on the grave of Thomas Merton for probably an hour. He's out in the Trappist Cemetery next to the church. What is it about these places? Oh, that sense of finality, a life well-lived, brought to fulfillment. And it fills us with a kind of peace. They are beautiful places to think and to meditate, to pray and to muse. But then, friends, there's the grave talked about in the gospel for today. This gospel for Easter Sunday. We hear in Mark's account that the women come to the grave of Christ. They've come the way mourners have for eons. They've come to anoint the body, to honor him. And we can easily imagine, after they've done this task, these women perhaps sitting in a meditative frame of mind outside the grave of their friend and their hero, reflecting on his life, remembering his words, how wonderful he was, maybe meditating on the tragedy of life. But that's not what happened at this grave. The women come, and the first great surprise is that the stone has been rolled away. Rolled away, it looks like by grave robbers. Someone's broken in. But then what becomes abundantly clear to them is not that someone's broken in, but that the unheard of has happened, that somebody has broken out. This, I submit to you, does not fill you with a sense of musing, meditative peace. This fills you with a sense of fear and awe. It's intensified, by the way, when they peer into this tomb and they see not a dead body, but they see someone alive. They see a man dressed in white who announces to them that Jesus, the Nazarene whom they search for, is not here. This is not a calming message. This is not something which inspires you to muse and to meditate and to wonder. This is not a peaceful message. It cuts to the very core of your being. Jesus, the Nazarene whom you search for, is not here. Mark tells us, listen, they made their way out and they fled from the tomb, bewildered and trembling, and because of their great fear, they said nothing to anyone. Yes, I, like many others, have been drawn to the graves of great and famous people. But the one thing I never sense at those graves is fear. I never tremble. My life is not turned upside down. In fact, I find them peaceful places. But this grave talked about on Easter Sunday is different. Something else is happening. Because at this grave, we see that the laws of nature have been reversed. If there's one thing we all accept as final and absolute, it's the fact of death. All lives come to an end. Death is unavoidable. 
And then we have this message. That God, through his power, says no to this fact. God, through his power, reverses, redirects this law of nature. God shows us that something else can be the case. And so, of course, like the women, we are filled with fear and trembling. There's something deeply disquieting about the message of Easter. God is the enemy of death. And God proclaims his conquest of death on Easter Sunday. You know, I've mentioned this before to you, but this is a time to re-emphasize it. There are way too many theologians. Oh, they've been around for the past couple hundred years, but you can read them today. There are way too many theologians who want to domesticate this message. They want to interpret the resurrection this way. Oh, a group of disciples after Jesus' tragic death gathered. They remembered his words, his action. They recalled how great he was. And in that musing, meditative frame of mind, they decided that the cause of Jesus goes on. And they expressed that conviction in this evocative language of resurrection from the dead. Now, can you see, friends, what they are trying to do is turn the experience of Jesus' grave into the experience of any grave of a great person. My musing and meditating at the tombs of the Kennedy brothers, my musing and meditating at the Montparnasse Cemetery, my musing and praying at the grave of Thomas Merton. Okay, nothing wrong with that. But that's not what we do at the grave of Jesus. That's not what we do at the tomb of Christ, because this tomb is empty. This tomb has been broken out of. This tomb signals something else is the case. And so the proper reaction to it is the reaction of these women. Fear, trembling, novelty, surprise. And that's the message of Easter. Notice something, please. There never developed within Christianity a cult of the tomb of Jesus. How often, in regard to great people, a cult springs up around their tomb. People come there to pray. They come there for liturgy. They come there to remember. Think even of the cult that grew up around the tomb of St. Peter. We have St. Peter's Basilica today because of a long tradition of coming to that tomb to pray, to remember him. Ah, but there is no cult of the tomb of Jesus. It's not a place where we come to meditate and remember. It's a place that shocks us to the core of our being. And that is the message of Easter. See in the fear of these women something wonderful, something indispensable, something we should never lose sight of. A last meditation. I told you last week about that man in white in the Gospel of Mark, wearing the white garment. At the moment of truth, he runs away. 
running naked in the woods, leaving his white garment behind. It's symbolic of the baptized person losing his baptismal identity, refusing at the moment of truth to be a Christ-bearer. Listen now what the Gospel says in Mark's account of the resurrection. On entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a white robe, and they were utterly amazed. An angel, perhaps? Perhaps it's this man who lost his white robe at the moment of truth, but now is in the tomb of the risen Christ. And what's he doing? He is announcing the resurrection. What does it mean to be a Christ-bearer? What does it mean to live out your baptismal identity? It means to announce from this broken, empty tomb the strange and disturbing news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. This is what we do. This man is now an evangelist. But we evangelize not in this peaceful, meditative, musing way as though we're sitting by the tomb of a deceased person. No, no. We evangelize in this shocking, frightening, disturbing way, announcing that God is more powerful than death. When we do that, we're wearing our white garment. We're living out our baptismal identity. We are a bearer of Christ. And we become worthy of this great message of Easter Sunday. Let these frightened women, let this bold man in white stay in your minds today as we celebrate this great feast. And happy Easter to all. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.